Welcome to the Weird Sequence Podcast, where every week we discuss a story that is strange, unusual, maybe even a little bit creepy. We are your hosts, Phil Alighieri, Damien Haster. This is Sequence 1, Season 1, The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. This recording was taken at 11.30 on the October 31st, 2020. The story had not been previously read by myself. It was nominated by Damien Haster. Let's get right into it. Damien, what's our book for today? So today we're talking about The Telltale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe, uh, which is one of the great works of short horror and weird fiction and um, is super creepy. Super creepy. Super creepy yes. or... I don't know, I found it rather unsettling more than creepy. Well... I, I uh, I th- I thought it was really creepy and but not like so it is unsettling and it's weird and and we'll get into why that is but there was one specific part for me that like just the thought of it makes me makes me shudder and think about it before I'm going to bed and stuff so um, so oh I think I know which part you mean yeah so and it's 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 the idea of the thing that gets to me. It's not like, yeah. So the, yeah. So the, let, let's, let's go through the basic premise of this. So, you know, um, there's a guy who is, let's say disturbed. He becomes obsessed with an old man that he lives with, uh, decides he's going to murder him and goes through the somewhat graphic description of sneaking into his room killing him, and then trying to fool the police. Um, failing to fool the police, because all he can hear, of course, is the sound of the man's heart beating under the floorboards. And, you know, do you think that's the first time synopsis of that? Yeah, I think so. I, I mean, you know, the, the thing, like, right, right from the start of the story, like, you're not sure if the narrator is a reliable narrator or not. Like he says that he's feeling very nervous and that his nerves are bad and that he's ill, but he's not mad. Why, you know, why are you saying that I'm mad? Um, well, whatever, I that, you know, that the fact that he reinforces it three or four times probably means that he, he is at least somewhat cognizant that he's probably not stable. Right. And, you know, he says the disease has sharpened my senses, not destroyed, not dulled them. So, like, you know, is the disease he's talking about, is that his nerves? Or is he saying, is he saying, why are you saying I'm mad? I am mad, but it's been, you know, it's sharpened my senses, not dulled them. Um, and that that idea, the, the fact that he, he feels like his his senses and his hearing is is acute, more acute than normal persons is kind of, you know, foreshadowing what he's able to hear at the end of the story. But it also kind of it calls into question his reliability. Like, you know, is it reasonable that he is able to hear more acutely than a normal person? Probably not. Well, I, I don't think so. And, and, you know, towards the end of this, when he's talking about um, the, the reactions from the police officers that sort of come to check up on him, they aren't reacting to what he's hearing. So uh, you can probably to some extent say he's unreliable. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but also, you know, his his motive for what he does is really ambiguous. And, and that's creepy in itself. Like, 
know, he, he, he says, and he reinforces this over and over again, that he's got no ill will toward the man, toward the old man, just the old man's eye. So, you know, the, the old guy has like a, an eye that is, you know, a different color than his other eye. And it has a milky film over it. Like he's got cataract or something. Is, is, that, um, is that a sound legal defense? I killed him because he had a funky eye. <laughs> no, I, I don't think that would, I don't think that would fly. It, it would certainly, you know, it would certainly have your lawyer talking about like a plea of insanity, but, um, I don't think that's a, a valid. Well, um, you know, th- th- that's that's probably a, a good thing to discuss. You know, he starts off by saying, well, yes, I'm, I'm nervous, but I'm not mad. You know, even though, I mean, and he sort of implies by saying, you know, I have this disease that's sharp in my senses, that there's, there's something he's aware of that is wrong with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, are, are we... Are we sort of uh, uh, accepting, you know, by implication, or I don't think it explicitly states at any point, but by implication that he's he's probably not a sound mind. No, I, I don't. I mean, that I mean, it's 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 kind of the whole the whole question is like, you know, if he is reliable, you know, so so it, it changes the whole tone of the stories. If if what he says happened really happened, well, then you know there's some weird supernatural shit going on. Um, if if he's not reliable and he's just a little bit crazy or a lot of bit crazy, you know, then you have you know a crime, uh, you know, uh, the wanton death of an old man at the hands of a mentally ill person who has delusions and maybe, you know, auditory hallucinations. And, and then it becomes kind of a, a tragedy rather than a, than a, a horror piece. Um, but, but it, it, yeah, and it, it, it's very, I mean, for, the, for those of you who've not really ever read this, it, it's a very strange kind of thing that happens because, you know, as we've said, he becomes obsessed with the eye that this old man has. And thus, you know, having decided he's tired of being looked at by this eye, he's just going to deal with this old man and get rid of this eye. He, yeah, and he says, he of, says, you yeah. know, I, the, the object, there was none, passion, there was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold, I had no desire. It was the eye. That he was, you know, he wasn't killing the guy for his money. He wasn't killing the guy because he didn't like him. It was just his eye, and so that that kind of flippant and wanton nature. Yeah, you know, the, the, there's a reference here, like the week before he proceeds with the crime. He's, you know, I I was never kinder to the old man than during the week before I killed him. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, is this is this part of the, the the larger plan that he's trying to work with, or is this, you know, maybe even some sort of like. Um, you know, remorse that he's having before the event. You know, some sort well, of I, manifestation of unease that he's, you know, basically planning to kill this guy that he kind of likes. Yeah, and I think, you know, I don't know. I'm, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a criminal justice guy. I don't know much about like criminology and stuff. But, but I would suspect that in in cases where someone that is known to like if someone dies at the hand of someone that they know 
Like, like I'm thinking kind of like in, in cases of suicide, like a lot of times if someone, if someone is super depressed and, and super like, you know, really down low for a long time and then suddenly they're all chipper and happy, like that's a, that's a red flag. And that's an extreme red flag. Um, I have relatives that are social workers and they're like, oh yeah, is that person suddenly happy? Yeah. Don't, if they were if they're complaining, don't worry about it. If they stop complaining, they're suddenly happy. Panic. Hit all the red right. buttons. Right, and I would suspect that in cases where you know, if if you if you're plotting to kill someone that is that is close to you, like you know, you're gonna you're gonna not want them to suspect anything, and well, so you're I, gonna overcorrect for that. There's no implication, really, at, at any point in this that he he's never he's never unpleasant to the old man. Right. You know, oh, I've never been kinder to him. Well, sure, but he, there's nothing that says that he's ever been mean to him. He's never tried to harm or hurt him or disparage him in any way. He's just sort of, um, he's just, you know, it's it's part of some, again, it, you know, is it is it part of a plan to put the guy into a full sense of security or is it just some unease at what he's about to do? Yeah, and, and you know, the... The other thing about his plan that is that is kind of weird is that like he he feels like his the the caution and the premeditation that he that he shows in this whole thing to him is a sign that he's not mad because a mad person would just rush in and just you know do the deed like a madman. Yeah, and then, yeah. Sorry, I was just going to say then and, and this sort of. This sort of precaution, this sort of slow stealth, this sort of creeping into the room to kind of scope out what he's doing, what he's, what he's, uh, you know, trying to achieve. This, this sort of very carefully, slowly, meticulously, like creeping in. Um, this forms the majority of this story. Yeah, and this I, is the part that this is the part that creeped me out so much. Like, in some way, you know. The, uh, He's sort of, you know, waiting until this guy's asleep, you know, gone midnight, it's pitch black, because, I mean, this was written, what, early 19th century? They didn't really have, they weren't used to having persistent electric, electric lights. He yeah. creeps into this pitch black room as slowly as humanly possible. I mean, he's sort of implying that it takes him, you know, hours sometimes to get through the gap in the door that he makes. Yeah, he says, he says explicitly it took, him, it took him an hour to poke his head in, into the door. And it's it's such a strange thing to obsess about, because obviously that that goes into preparing to kill the guy. He accidentally wakes the guy up. Uh, the old man's sort of awake, and he hears this pounding in the guy's heart, heart that finally causes him to snap and kind of kill him. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there is a lot of the story that's just you know laying out this meticulously brilliant plan in his mind of just how how sort of um, particularly was about creeping in, about, um, mm -hmm. you know, oh, I was watching him while he was asleep without making a sound. You know, it took me an hour to creep my head around the door till I could see him, and it's, it makes me want to lock my door tonight. At this one. <laughs> no, yeah, and that's, and, 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 you know, I actually think part of this for him, I, maybe he doesn't realize it, maybe the narrator doesn't realize it until the eighth night, but he says... Um, 
on the eighth night, he was even more cautious and, and more careful. And as he was moving very, very slowly into the room, he, it says, never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers. And so, like, I think really part of this, like, there's, there's aspects of like, of like voyeurism, like, you know, here I am, I'm slowly creeping into this guy's room and he's asleep and he's not aware of what I'm doing. There's, there's a power thing to it. Like, you know, uh, I have, I was going to say, do you, do you think it's more of a, a voyeuristic thing or do you think it's more of a sort of a power fantasy? Uh, for me, it, it's definitely like, you know, Oh, I'm sneaking in here and I, I have all the power in the situation. I can, I can mm-hmm. end this guy's life. I can do all of these things. He will never see or know this. Yeah. And, yeah. but, but that, that that power trip that he feels that night ends up kind of, um, you know, pushing his hand a little bit as he was opening the door. His thumb slipped and and it made the guy or no sorry he he was thinking he sorry he was thinking about about what he was doing like here I am creeping into this guy's room and I'm gonna open my lantern and look at him and he's not gonna. He's not going to see or hear me. He's not going to be aware of it. And he finds it funny, and so he chuckles. And then the guy kind of rolls over in bed suddenly as if startled. And and this is the part that, like, really creeps me out, because, like, the guy, the guy wakes up a little bit, and he rolls over in bed. But the narrator doesn't, he doesn't move. He just sits there in the darkness for an hour. Like, so... This, this was another bit that struck me, you, you know. We, we have a um, creepy protagonist that's snuck into this room. I don't know that I'd call him a protagonist. That's a little bit, like... Writer? <laughs> I mean, he's certainly the one taking action, so I guess in that sense he's a protagonist. But, but uh. <laughs> let's, let's, let's just call him Gavin. So we have Gavin. Gavin. <laughs> Gavin the psycho killer. Um... <laughs> no, um, you, you know, we, we have this character that's sneaking into the room, and he makes a mistake. He, he either gets overconfident or he accidentally fumbles his equipment, causes a noise, mm. sky up. This guy then sits up for an hour, which is kind of a strange reaction. He's not, he's not getting well, up around the room. He's just, he's just sitting there like, well, I heard something. That's really okay. So for an hour. So here's the thing. I, I when I first read this, I was thinking about like, I was thinking about playing like, um, like, like Oblivion or Skyrim, like an Elder Scrolls game where you're sneaking into somebody's house and you can, you know, you can put an arrow through their head and if they don't see you, then they'll like have their arrow sticking <laughs> in their head and they'll be like, I thought I heard something. Oh well, and then they'll Trust you know, me, go about their business. If you're having issues with your mouth, you, uh, mouth, mass, you can put five or six arrows around them in an arc, and they'll just go, there's somebody there! No, it's okay. Right. Go back to what they're doing every single time. Right. So at first I thought it was this, but then, so when I was, when I was 11 or 12, I lived in this, in this, uh, this house in Pocatello, Idaho, um, and my bedroom, along with my, my two of my siblings was down in the basement 
Um, and it was an unfinished basement. Like we had, we had a big rug on the floor, but it was cement underneath and the furnace was right outside the door. And, and I remember one night, uh, it was like, it was super dark down there when the lights were out, like, like, you know, as close to pitch black as I've ever experienced in that, in that room. And one night I remember waking up for some reason and, you know, probably, probably it was something mundane. Maybe the furnace turned on while I was in a lighter stage of sleep or something, but, but I woke up and it was so dark and, and I could have sworn that there was someone like the door was open, which we usually slept with the door open for whatever reason. I don't remember why, but, um, the door was open and I could have sworn that there was somebody standing like out in the basement by the furnace. Um, like somebody new or just like, no, just like some, 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 someone like, you know, there was nobody there. Um, it was just my brain playing tricks on me, but, but I stayed up for probably close to an hour or an hour and a half too scared to fall asleep because I felt like there was someone out there. And the way that I, the way that I ended up overcoming this is I, I said, okay, you know, there's nobody out there. I know that there's nobody out there. And so this, this presence that my brain is putting out there, I'm, I'm going to give it an identity so that I can deal with it. So Gavin? no, it wasn't Gavin. Thank <laughs> heavens. I, that would have been, that would have been a bad choice. To, it's just, oh, this is a random stranger in the hallway. It's fine. It's just Gavin. Right. right. Well, what I did is I imagined that it was Darth Vader uh, out there. <laughs> what? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Darth Vader was out there. And, but, and, and that's, that's creepy, you know, but, but Darth Vader can be fought. So, so in my mind, Darth Vader is sitting outside of my room, but I've got Luke Skywalker and Spider-Man in the room with me, right? And they're gonna they're gonna protect me. I and have, so I hate to say this, but have you seen the at the end of Rogue One? I don't think that would help. No, I had no. When I was eleven, Darth Vader was still just kind of a movie creepy. He didn't he didn't have that badassery that Rogue One gave him, but. Um, so, so that's how I overcame that as an 11-year-old, is that I had to create a situation, an equally illusory situation in my head where, where I would be protected, and then I was able to fall asleep. So, but in terms of the story, like, sitting up in bed because you're scared, you know, you're trying to figure out what's going on, like, you know, I could see sitting up in bed for an hour if you're trying to figure it out. Now, as an adult, I don't think, I mean, I would light a candle or something and be like, okay, you know, let's, let's go see what's going on here. And I would go over and I would kick the door with my foot and Gavin would get a nasty bruise across his face, you know? Um, <laughs> Gavin but, kicked his face by old man. Well, no, and, and this is, this is the problem I, I had kind of this, with this reaction. And um, maybe I just have a, a different temperament and I, I, I'm not the person that's going to sit there for an hour and a half carefully listening, straining for noises, I'm just going to go look. Um, which means I'm probably one of the first four people to die in the horror film. Yeah. But uh, you, you don't have to agree with me. <laughs> you, you, you would be the guy who'd be like, uh, be like, uh, Tanya, hello? And then when there's no answer, you're going to be like, 
Okay, I'm going to go get naked and get in the shower. Oh, God, you're right. Damn it. <laughs> oh, damn it, man. Um, no, but the, the, this was the other thing that bothered me kind of with the, with the old man's reaction is, you know, th this was, at least to my understanding, an era that people would, were used to carrying around candles and things with them for illumination. You would have thought he would have had something nearby that he could have lit up to see what was going on. Yeah, that's a, there's, that's there's, just, there's just an absolute absence of of reaction. So it's it's not like it's not like oh you know oh I heard I heard somebody definitely laugh oh who's there what what's going on the sun noise wakes him from from you know sleep he just sits there. Yeah, well, I mean, there's 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 a couple things about like the relationship between the narrator and the old man that. You know, it's it's all ambiguous, and and any any attempt to excuse me, any attempt to like say definitively like, oh, the narrator is this person, and you know, it's just is just speculation. But you know, if the if the narrator is like a servant or something, like maybe he, you know, manipulated the conditions in the room to his benefit, but. But also, like you know, how old of a how old of a guy are we talking about here? You know, maybe he doesn't. I don't know. I don't know. There's no. There's really no good excuse for that. It's kind of just left out because otherwise, you know, if the guy lights the candle and then says, "Oh, Gavin, what the heck are you doing in my room?" Like that's you know a spoiled story. <laughs> well, I mean, not necessarily. I mean. What then happens, you know, in, in the story is, um, I guess Gavin, as we're calling him now, um, Gavin just obsesses about, you know, this guy being awake in bed while he's standing there in a pitch black room motionless. So rather than trying to make an escape, he kind of, you know, you know with the kind of the, um, uh, oh, what am I trying to say there? With, towards the title of the, the story, you know, He's trying to. He starts to hear this heartbeat. The kind mm. of. I think he 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 talks about somewhere down here. You know, like a drum to a soldier going into battle. Yeah. You know, so he's he's very much knows the guy's awake, and he starts to hear this heartbeat that he 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 hears it loud enough that he's worried it's going to wake up the neighbors. Mm -hmm. So again, this goes back to the well. What exactly is wrong with this guy? You know, is is this something somewhat supernatural, or is he having a uh, a full-out sort of auditory hallucination? And I, I guess there's a, a lot of um, a lot of supernatural stories where you can you can ask that question. Well, is that actually happening, or is it just some sort of hallucination, mass delusion, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? But in this one, it 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 does sort of imply very strongly that it it is all going on in his head. Yeah. Yeah, and and in that case, it's a very it's a very real horror. Like, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, I mean, schizophrenia was was not a named condition in in eighteen forty three when this was public. Well, I mean, eighteen forty three. So, what are we, are we talking about there? We're still talking about you know massive brick kind of asylum type structures. Mm -hmm. We're not into an era at this point. I mean, 1843, I don't even know if we have psychology at that point as a recognized, like, profession. No, I don't, I don't think so. I think, um, 
or maybe it was very, when... very, very nascent. And anyway, I mean, so you know, he kind of, you know, he starts to hit his heartbeat, and then instead of, you know, oh well, I'm I'm in a bad situation. I need to start easing myself out of this because there's really no way that the guy can identify him. You know, he starts to fix yeah. this guy's eye again, and then just goes in and kills him. Right. Well, he he goes he. Like, they sit there for an hour, staring at each other in the dark without knowing that they're staring at each other in the dark. And then, you know, he's kind of fantasizing and kind of getting off on this idea of the guy, like, like going through all these scenarios in his head. Like, oh, it, it could, it's just a mouse or it's just a cricket. And, and, and then he decides to, um, he opens his lantern just a sliver and the the beam of light just happens to fall on on his his weird eye, his vulture eye, and well, so that was um, that was the other bit that worried me. And uh, actually, it, it kind of made me wonder, kind of made me wonder if the time frame that Gavin is implying actually happened is, is not correct, because he opens up the lantern, and he, I mean. He talks about, you know, as thin as a, a spider's web, but e- even the tiniest amount of light in a pitch-black room, that's going to be blinding. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I was thinking about that, too. Like, is this, is is this like, for Gavin, is, is like, is time compressed? Because he doesn't, he doesn't start to hear the, the heartbeat until after he opens the lantern, right? Yeah. Well, it's once he starts fixating on the eye again. So he, well, no, starts, it, it, he starts to fixate it, on the eye, and it's like he starts to hear this this noise. Well, yeah. Well, okay. So, so he heard a groan. He knew the groan was the groan of mortal terror, because he had made that groan before too, which is it's creepy. Um, it's out of place. It doesn't give any context to that. It's just like, oh yeah, I've I've made a, a tone. A, a, I made a noise of, of um, you know, barely contained terror before. I knew exactly what it was. Right. What? Which is, I mean, that, that yeah, I mean, that further reinforces that this narrator is not well. Um, so he hears the, he hears the groan and he chuckles in his heart because he knew that he, had, that the old man had been awake since the first noise and now he's going through all the scenarios. It's just a cricket or it's just this and, and then, uh, when I had waited a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little of the lantern. So I opened it stealthily, and then the light shot out from the crevice and full and fell full upon the vulture eye. And then he, once the light fell upon the eye, he grew furious, and then he started to hear the heartbeat and. And, like, you know, if you think about, you know, you're sitting in bed scared because you heard a noise. And then suddenly this blinding light comes and hits you in the eye. Like, okay, I'm going to get up and I'm going to kick some ass, right? Well, I mean, I I could see somebody having a terror reaction that they're sort of paralyzed, right? Because I I think we've all had that that very visceral sort of, oh, what is that? And you you physically can't move, but it's... It seems an odd reaction to have that from a slight noise, and then oh, something's lit up in here. Not oh, with somebody in here, just doesn't move. Right, 
And and I think I think I think that that for the narrator time is compressed. I think that this like opening the lantern, seeing the eye, perceiving the heartbeat and and feeling like this rage get up mm-hmm. so that he goes and takes action. I think that happens like in an instant and he's perceiving it as being slow. Because I just can't see even if even if there's a really old guy like the old man called out once and then was dead. So do, do you think it's like a maybe like a, an implied kind of adrenal reaction? It yeah, could be but so, the other so, thing. So, so the other thing is like this, you know, that he's he's time is his perception of time is slowing down. Yeah, the other thing is that you know he's telling this this story to someone else like. You know, he's, this is, this is the story that we're hearing is after the fact. So, you know, it could be one of those things like, you know, when you like a fishing story, when you go fishing and then you go tell the story to someone else, the fish gets bigger over time. You know, it could be that, you know, he's had time to think about what happened and he's adding the parts about like what, what happened between the time that he unfurled the lantern and when he killed the guy, like, it could have all happened very quickly, and then he's piecing together what his perception of it was later. That's true. Um, so, so but either way. So anyway, he, he he kind of finally breaks. He kills this guy, and I I didn't have time to research this because I I didn't entirely follow what it meant here. Um, I dragged him to the floor. Okay, I pulled a heavy bed over him. Did he kill him by crushing him with a bed, or am I just completely misunderstanding that? Um, no, I don't think he crushed him. I think he smothered him. Okay, that, that's what I was wondering. If that I was think he did. I think he did over. He tipped over the bed and then like sat on it, <laughs> or something. Like he he smothered the guy in his with the bed on top of him. Okay. Okay. So, I mean, it, for the context of the story, it kind of doesn't matter. But you know, he drags the guy to the floor, kills him. Um, and he's happy. I, I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far done. Mm-hmm. I'm happy because I murdered the dude. Or that I'm currently murdering the dude. <laughs> True. Well, you know, the deed so far done. I mean, it, it, it's, it's an after-the-fact thing. Yeah. Um, but for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. Interesting. Yeah, you know, the the questions about which aspects of this this story are reliable and which ones are not are just so it's so difficult because like you know the you know the heartbeat coincides with the death of the guy, but then later when the cops are there, it's like you know there there couldn't possibly be an actual heartbeat. So- like, well, sure. I mean, you know, he, he's confirming, you know, he checked the pulse, the, the dude, the dude. Because, <laughs> you know, this old man was had a rich life and he was surfing down the California coast every day. Right. Um, you know, the, the old man is, is dead. He's checked there is no pulse. He's absolutely stone dead. Um, but he's still hearing this muffled heartbeat. Do you think at this point he's hearing his own heartbeat? Yeah, and it could have been that the whole time. That's that's the thing. Like, you know, if you're if you're enraged, 
you know, you could hear your own heartbeat, but, <clears throat> but who knows, you know, there's no way to tell. And then, and then after the guy's dead, he, we kind of break back to the present where he's telling the story and he says, you know, if you still think I'm mad, you'll know, you'll think that no longer when I describe how careful I was to conceal the body. And, and then, um, you know, he, he dismembers, dismembers the corpse. Cut into what we got here, like six pieces. Mm-hmm. And then just stuffs it under the, the planks, which took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber. Could have been a big dude. Yeah. And then, you know, there was nothing to wash out, no stains, because the he he did it all in a tub, and mm-hmm. he thinks that he's, done, you know, he's committed the perfect crime. And, and I think that's, like, the... I mean, the, the pursuit of, like, the perfect crime is a thing, you know. Some people, you know, fantasize about committing the perfect crime, and, you know, he thinks that he's done it. Like, who? how could anybody possibly catch him? He's, he's covered all of his bases. I think, I think it's an idea that comes up in Agatha Christie a lot. You know, how would you commit the perfect crime? Well, if you have no perceived motive, how would they know it's you? Right. I mean, the, the motive in this is so, so absurd. It, it may as well be motiveless. Right, because uh, nobody other than the the well, nobody other than the, the sort of the, the the narrator is going to understand why they did this. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so you know, dismembers the body, um, stuffs it under the floorboards, puts everything right. Three policemen show up at four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock. Um, yes. So they've been alerted by somebody. So, I mean, this isn't somebody calling the police. This is somebody walking out of the house, going to a police station and being like, so that guy that lives next door to me. Right. Um, yeah, there are no phones here. Which, you, don't, which is, you, don't, you don't call 911 in 1843. You've got to... Well, this is true. And it's interesting as well that um, the, the, the reason they've been summoned is that there's a shriek. So they heard the guy shriek when he, he kind of pounced on him, but they didn't hear him chopping the body up or removing the floorboards. It was the shriek that was the problem. Yeah, and, well, you know, there's no, there's nothing that says where this story takes place either, but, like, you think about living in a city, you know, if you're, if if it's you know midnight or one o'clock in the morning, and your your upstairs neighbor suddenly like shouts once, like I don't know, I'm I'm more likely to assume that he's having a nightmare and not call the police. Well, it, it, it's not necessarily there's even the, the noise or you know um, neighbors with unpleasant nightmares. Um, the the trick here that, that, that catches me is you know a guy shrieking at. at one in the morning, midnight, whatever. That that's a problem that's worth summoning the police for. Somebody ripping up the floorboards and nailing them back in place. No, that's fine. It happens all the time. Right, and like did overturning, you, overturning it. Like, sounded like he was dragging a barrel of acid in and then chopping meat. But no, nothing out of the ordinary. Right. He had a nightmare and woke up and and prepared some bacon for the morning. You know. 
He had a nightmare, <laughs> woke up, and then took out an internal wall before he went back to sleep. Yeah, I do that all the time. Oh, me, me too. That's yeah. why my roof fell in. Um, right. <laughs> yeah, so, so the so, cops show up. So the cops and, show up. Uh, and he invites them in with, with perfect suavity. Um, well, was, they introduce themselves with perfect suavity. Oh, they do. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, which totally has me picturing the guy from CSI Miami. Um, I don't know why, because that's not a definition I would apply to that guy, but that, that's totally what I pictured for some strange reason. Um, but then he sort of then he sort of gets caught up in his own self-confidence, and he, he takes them around the house, and he has them sit in the room where he can... Right above the body, yeah, right above the body. Um, and then, you know, as he's trying to explain... Well, honestly, what looks like a pretty solid kind of cover for this? Oh, yeah, well, you know, um, oh, he's gone out to the country, um, you know, there's nobody here, look, all his stuff's here. That's fine. He starts to hear this heartbeat again. Mm-hmm. And as the heartbeat is getting louder and louder, he's trying to take increasingly extravagant actions to try and cover the noise of the heartbeat. And again, I'm not, I'm not a criminologist. And I'm not a police officer, but I feel like if you're sitting in someone's house and they start like getting up, uh, you know, they've got you some, they've got you some tea. You're having a cup of, you're, you know, chatting with your police officer buddies about like, oh my gosh, like you'll never guess the, the thing that happened today. And the guy who, the guy who's in the house is getting pale and he's getting up, he's talking more frequently mm-hmm. and in a heightened voice. And he's pacing and getting up, and he's he's all nervous and stuff. Well, like, isn't I mean, what is literally it? foaming at the mouth? You know, I are, felt are the, I raved. I swore. Are the cops just like? So, so the question is, is he actually doing that? Because the cops just keep talking about whatever they're talking about, you know, until until at the end when he shrieks about it. Like, that's when they start paying attention. So, Well, this is another thing that, 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 that I, w- I was interested in, um, trying to kind of, you know, decompose what's happening here. Do you have a situation where you have somebody who's been perfectly candid, suddenly starts to act increasingly eccentric, and then just goes, oh, yeah, by the way, totally murdered the guy, his body's under the, the floorboards under my chair? Or... Is this sort of mania all in his head? And they're not reacting to that mania because it's entirely a part of his own paranoia and kind of hallucinating, um, kind of hallucinations. So which, which way is that going? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I mean, I think clearly, you know, they don't hear the heartbeat because there is no heartbeat, right? So they're sitting there chatting, having a cup of tea, this guy, the narrator, is freaking out because he's hearing this heartbeat that's getting louder and louder, and he's he's afraid that they that they hear it. But they don't take like it says that that he raved. That I raved. I swore. I swung the chair upon which I had been sitting and grated it upon the boards. But I guess, I guess it doesn't really it doesn't really say what the cops are doing during all this. He just says that, like... Well, the well, men, oh, no, it says, it says, um, and, they, and still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. 
Yeah. Uh, to clarify, part, part of the reason he's doing this is because in his head, he's hearing this heartbeat again that's getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And he's, he's worried it's going to give the game away. Um, right. So, you know, he swung the, tra the chair and, uh, you know, basically, you know, he, he, he was dragging this along the floorboards to make loud noises to try and cover this up. Um, I don't think, I think there's a line here somewhere. Hey, here we go. I gasped for breath, and yet the officers heard it not. Um, yeah. So, so is is all the all the stuff that he's doing? Is that all going on in his head? And what the police officers are actually perceiving is just a guy standing there behind his chair, kind of looking off distantly, like he's so in a, like the way a dream. He was becoming physically erratic. Actually, physically erratic. I think so. It grew louder, louder, so, and they still chatted so, pleasantly. It smiled. Was it possible they heard not? Almighty God, no, no, they heard. They suspected they knew. So they're not reacting to whatever it is he's hearing. What, what's happening there is he is um, he's covering up for, again, we're assuming poor Gavin is hallucinating. Um, so he's, he's trying to cover up this noise that's just thumping in his ears. And they don't right, right. this. And maybe they just think he's a little eccentric or a little agitated because, well, you know, three policemen just showed up and went, well, where's your neighbor? That's probably a common reaction they're going to get. Yeah, but no, no, no. Okay, fine. But, but if I'm a cop and I'm sitting in somebody's house and suddenly he gets up and he starts being like, oh, how about the weather today in a loud voice? And, and then he's like, oh, yeah, nice. And then he gets up and he starts sliding his chair around and he's sweating and he keeps looking at me to see like if i've heard something like like i'm gonna be like are you okay like i'm not gonna chat with my buddies anymore i'm gonna be like you know do you need medical attention do you need you know some whiskey what's going on like why are you doing that like well that, you know, that, is, I, that is an excellent selection of air horns you've got there i have a similar collection myself yes they are quite loud aren't they right like like <laughs> I, my question isn't like isn't did the cops actually hear it? Because I think it's clear that, that the heartbeat is in his head. Right. My question is, is all the things that the narrator is doing, you know, shouting, cussing, moving the chair, pacing around, is that all really happening? Because I feel like if it is happening, the police officers should not just be chatting pleasantly with one another. They should be like, you know, what are you doing, ma'am? And so the so I think that in my head, the way that it's going is that, you know, the narrator is standing there behind his chair, kind of like with a vacant expression on his face. And in his head, he's doing all that stuff. And then when he comes back to reality to say, like, oh, did they hear any of that? They're still just chatting away. And so then he's like, you know, you know, he's freaking out more and more. So. I think see, see for for me, I, I would say almost the exact opposite. I, I think this, you know, it, it may not be sort of grandiose. It might not be like throwing his arms and wailing, but it, it, he is doing things to try and drown out a noise he's perceiving. And then you know, maybe he just looks nervous. You know, he's he's just drumming his feet, maybe loudly, maybe he's pacing up and down a little bit, and then suddenly he just turns around like, "All right, fine, you got me. I totally killed the dude." And it's it, it it's. Probably it's very strange from their perspective what's going on there. Oh, for sure. Like, well, yeah, he says, villains! But well, that would get my attention as a cop. Like, excuse me? 
Dissemble no more, I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. It's the beating of his hideous heart, and, you know, the cops have got to be like, like, what? Say again? Like, holy crap, there is a body down there. Like, but, like, and I guess, you know, one of the interesting things about this story is how in in the first half or the first two-thirds of the story, the horror for me is all from the perspective of the old man, to think that there's someone standing in his doorway looking at him and he's not aware of it. That's the horror right. there. Right. And then after the old man is dead, the horror switches to the narrator. And, to th- I mean, think about, you know, put yourself in the narrator's shoes You've just killed this guy, and you thought that you made you know this perfect you know, this perfect crime, mm-hmm. and then suddenly you're hearing the heartbeat of the man that you just killed, and you're fairly certain that the cops are hearing it too. Like that would be that would be horrific. I mean, from his perspective, it has to be like this supernatural thing, like the ghost of the man is out well, for revenge or something. Uh, he, he's talked previously about hearing the heartbeat after the guy was, was dead. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, he, he, on some level, is is believing he's experiencing some sort of phenomena that is um, abnormal, if not supernatural. But then at the same time, he, he's, he's doing all the right things for a murder, right? He's, he's disposed of the body, there's no trace of the guy, he has a perfect cover story. You know, is this almost, is this a manifestation of his own guilt? I think so. And and I think, you know, if he had, if he had just, you know, he let the cops in and they searched the house, if he would have just been, okay, okay guys, thanks for coming, I'll let you know when the guy comes back in town. Yeah. You know, yeah. then he, he would have gotten away with it, but because he he gave in to that arrogance and said, no, you know, come on here, have have a glass of tea and sit right here where I happen to kill this guy, you know. You know, then so, so in that sense, it's like, it's karma that he, you know, his arrogance was his downfall in addition to his, you know, delusion. But, um... Yeah, no, I, I think you're absolutely right. It, it, it's... And there's a tone to this entire story that is this is very um, well. You know, if I'd have done it a bit differently, I totally would have got away with it this time. And it's not, it's not um, angry. Mm. I think it's almost very sort of um, not exactly irritated, but just like, oh well, you know, if if I'd have done this, I'll get it next time. Um, very sort of analytical and, and sort of almost detached from what's happened. Even though he's playing right. nervousness right at the start of this. But he's also saying that, that he's not, he doesn't feel like he is insane. And so from his perspective, everything that he said happened, happened. Like he, he really did hear the heartbeat of the man that he killed. And that's something that physically happened. And so like, you know, where to to the to the ears of the person that he's telling the story to, and to the ears of the of the reader, like that's clearly the sign of someone who's insane. But to him, like it's that thing where, like, you know, you know, you can't tell me what I saw. I know what I saw. You know, I know what I heard. And and you know, 
human perception is is not concrete and so um you know if you if you if you switch the story out to uh from you know the man is hearing a phantom heart of the man the you know the heartbeat of the man that he just killed to um you know the man is claiming that he saw sasquatch out in the swamp like you know it's it's the oh. same it's the same thing yeah, well, just yeah, I mean, if you, if you take, you know, the Telltale Heart and you rename it um, that time that Gavin cracked under pressure from paranoia and guilt after he murdered a guy because he was listening to hallucinations, it's a very different story. Right. And, and I think, I think that, the, I mean, so I guess, I guess to go back to like, you know, is this story creepy or scary, like... Um, I think that this story for me is creepy and scary because of the possibility of it being more of a realistic story than, than a supernatural one. Like, you know, there are people out there who live with and deal with, you know, audio and visual hallucinations that are of a disturbing nature. You know, people hear voices that tell them, to kill people people hear voices that tell them that they're jesus and and for people who deal with these kind of mental illnesses it's very real and it's very hard to get them to understand that they're just delusions and hallucinations and not reality and so absolutely and for me that that is i would say part of the reason why i find this more unsettling than i find it creepy because this is not an unreasonable or unrealistic situation to happen now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you can you know, look in any, any kind of news service and find plenty of stories of, you know, the neighbor was fine so that one day he cracked and went over next door and killed Barry because, you know, the dog told him to do it. Yeah, or, or that the God told... I mean, there are stories in the news that where a guy... Um, where people, like, you know, kill their own children because because God told them that their children were really demons. And, uh, you know, it's very unsettling because these things really happen. I think for me, the creepy part is just the part about, like, the guy, you know, poking his head into the bedroom and just standing there watching. Well, I, I, think, and, I, think, I think that's it. You know, at its core, this is, this is an account of one of those stories where, well, I mean, he goes to, you know, he has this delusion. He, he goes and, and sort of attacks this guy. And then the sort of the unsettling part is the level of detail that they sort of discuss the thought process and the, the sort of um, the perception from that person's point of view of going in and doing this. Right. And, and you know, the... Because this is, this is a sort of a step beyond, well, oh, then I picked up the axe and went and whacked him over the head with it. This, this is... Well, you know, I practice creeping into the guy's room, and it's just like, okay, 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 whoa, 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 back right. up. <laughs> and then the, the the you know the level of detail leading up to the killing versus the level of detail of the actual killing is is kind of like opposite of what it is in modern horror. Like, there's no there's no visceral detail about like you know, it's almost an afterthought. Yeah, I, I, and I four and hours I think, creeping in, and then just murdered the guy. And then you yeah, know, it went in. This is how I cleaned it all up, and it's yeah, it, it's a and, very different approach than a, a more modern story. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that um, 
it it helps to build atmosphere like you know it's just like you know the, the people talk about like the the difference between like old school horror movies versus modern horror movies and and it's all about you know the build up and the atmosphere where you know Hitchcock is relying on you know the the cinematography and the music and the the theme of the story to set the mood and 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 a lot of modern horror movies are relying on jump scares and CGI and um, you know, this is kind of a similar thing where Poe is highlighting all of the details leading up to the murder, but not the murder itself, and then, you know, highlighting the delusion of the man afterward. And, and rather than relying on, you know, the feeling, like, you know, if he went, if he spent like six paragraphs talking about the, you know, the feeling of, of, of uh, you know, choking the guy or feeling his body twitch and you know it wouldn't have the same kind of like uneasy creepiness as like you know we're really yeah, getting a peek into just write it off as like a slasher story in essence right yeah and and we wouldn't get the we wouldn't have the same like um you know you really get a sense for what parts of this story are important for the narrator? The, the, the sort of the sort of a um, a vulgarity that's been removed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I I really like this story. Like it's very very unsettling and, and very. Um, well, I, I'm I'm not going to lie. I mean, I, I I said this to you what uh, five minutes before we we finished this. I literally read this story a half an hour ago. Um, right this time, and it, it, it was a good read. I'm, I'm glad I read it, but it's um, yeah. I'm, I'm impressed that we've been talking about it for this long. Um, but <laughs> Speaking of which, um, we're coming up on an hour. Do you have any final thoughts on the Telltale? Um, I, I think I think this is a great example of Poe's writing, and and his writing style is very. Um, like efficient like there's there's no there's no you know you, you go and read like lovecraft and there are there are whole paragraphs where you're just like he's talking about nothing here like he'll spend two or three paragraphs just talking about you know the architecture of providence or something and, um, <laughs> and it's kind of infuriating sometimes but like this story like there's um, i'm trying to think which story it was um there is there is one um, there is one uh, Lovecraft story that I, I was reading and it has that Tolkien problem. I can't think of what to write, so I'm going to write about the trees. And it's it's there's like a, a page two page description of the rolling hills outside of Arkham. It's like yeah, that's oh, like, I don't care. Isn't the, the tentacled monster about to break out of one of these hills or something? Yeah, yeah. There's like the the Dunwich horror is like that. And yes, I think I think, I think yeah. I'm actually thinking of yeah. And 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 so, but but this story and and that's with a lot with the, of that's the one with the brother living in the the roof of the barn, right? Yeah, the brother that looks more like Yogg-Sothoth than. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That that is absolutely the one I was thinking of then. Yeah. So and but but with Poe, like, there's no. I don't feel like there's any any part of this. 
of this story that is um, wasted. Like every every sentence and every phrase furthers the story, and um, and I think it's it's a a great example of like um, like how effective like sparse prose can be. Yeah, and 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 you you are absolutely correct. That there isn't a single word here that's wasted. That there's no there's no um, there's no addressing. There's almost no context to this. Right. Um, And and Gavin shows up, murders a guy. This is how he did it. This is what he thought. I confess to this. The end. Yeah. There's there's no there's no denouement. There's no like you know. And now I'm sitting in prison alone. You know. Yeah, it's almost it's almost matter of fact. He's he's not talking about well. Let's talk about the the state of the streets in Philadelphia as I walked to and from my apartment. There's there's almost no build up. He, yeah. You know, well, I was obsessed with this thing, so I did this thing. Yeah. It is, it is the absolute kernel of what needed to be here for this story to be the story. Yeah, and there's no there like even the setting is like. You know, a dark room. We don't know what's in his dark. There's a bed in his dark room. There's right. no, you know, he doesn't go describe the wallpaper. He doesn't describe. It's, it's probably as efficient as fiction can get. Yeah, and it's great. Like, like the and and it's something like in my own writing. There's a lot that I can learn from this because I I tend to I I am more of a Lovecraft. I tend to go on and on about certain <laughs> things, but. Um, you, you know, need, you don't. Uh, you need to start practicing uh, uh, microfiction. You know, <laughs> put put in the entire story in a tweet. Well, you know, on on my on my my Twitter account at Damien Haster, like sometimes I do that. I think like I'll think of a like how how short can I tell a horror story? And um, it's difficult for me because I mean, even just tweeting in general is difficult for me. Because I, even my text messages are like, in like a full sentences and oh, yeah. punctuated and that everything. But, gravity there. Yeah. But I tend to think in bullet points, so it works great for me. <laughs> um, uh, anyway, on that note, um, what what are we thinking for next week? Do we do we want to go with I have no mouth and I'm a scream? Yeah, I think that's a good one. I've never read that, and I, I've never actually read anything from that author either. So, um, I am all cards on the table. I've never been terribly impressed with other things that I've read, I've read by that author. I wouldn't say they were bad. I just I don't find them memorable. Um, mm-hmm. That story, I have no mouth, will probably go with me to my grave. <laughs> it's, it's one of those. Well, I'll have to thank you for it when it when it you know. One of the most bleak things I've ever read. Um, so if you are listening to this and you're not my mom, my mom probably won't listen to this because it's, you know, not her thing, but if you're listening to this and you want to know what we're talking about next week, um, go ahead and give, I have no mouth and I need to scream. Is that what it's called? I have no mouth and I must scream. And I must scream. Yeah. That sounds very British to me. Um, so go give that a read, and then you'll know what we're talking about next week. And it should be really interesting. I'm excited to read it, because I never read it. And uh, we will discuss it next week. So, um, so thank you very much for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, 
consider leaving a like or comment, perhaps even recommend it to a friend. We'll see you soon.